Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. If you love the Dead Prank podcast, you can help support its future using the ACAST supporter feature. Now, it's up to you how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So if you can and you want to, please do hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you. Thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, you're listening to the DPC podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things dead parent, the good the bad and the banter, hosted by Sam and Kat. Unfortunately, Kat isn't with us today. Um, with the time zone changes, oh my God, it's been a nightmare. But whichever way the UK clocks went, the Aussie clocks went the opposite way. So it meant that we are now like nine hours out from each other and are really struggling to find times that we can both speak at the same time. Um, but... Fortunately for me, I could do this time today, and we are joined by the lovely Victoria. So we'll get straight in. Victoria, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself to start with? Perfect, yeah. So thanks so much for having me. Big, big fan of the show. Um, So I'm, yeah, I'm obviously Victoria. I'm 35. I live in Shropshire, UK. So I run a women's clay shooting club, which I know is like such a bizarre thing for people that aren't into clay shooting. (laughs) So so I set up my own business um, eight years ago because I wanted to make it really easy for women to get into clay shooting. So women like me that are just from a really normal background. And I just wanted to bring women together and just bring them confidence. And I've got this real thing about, yeah, just, yeah, bringing women together. How did you get into Were you shooting before? Like, were you into shooting before you started this? Yeah, I was. So she seems like... If, because it's such a closed off well it's perceived as like a closed off kind of industry and people yeah. about it so it's just very male dominated and there's the stereotypes about the classic like white affluent male with a gun dog and a, and a, and a land rover mm-hmm. and i'm just this very normal girl from a very normal background and it was just i got into shooting and there were a few women that shot already and you know were really good but it was just a bit like green camo gray very like testosterone heavy and I just thought women yeah I could imagine I'm, I'm quite ballsy and confident and I just thought for women that aren't as confident as me like they'll just never get the joy out of this because I'll never get started because it's just so like man heavy and while the men mm. are all really nice yeah I just decided to set up um, a clay shooting and cake company which are my two favorite things and I've had massive success with that actually I'm so proud of it clay shooting and cake <laughs> how do you get the cake involved <laughs> I took four girlfriends clay shooting and they just weren't up for it they, they were like oh my god guns no way you know the recoil of the gun if I don't hold it right will hurt me so I was like well mm-hmm. I'll fake one of my amazing Victoria sponges you just come along have a go we'll have a group shooting lesson and then you know at least you'll have tried it once if you don't like it and we had the most amazing day. And I mentioned it on my Twitter because this was like eight years ago, old school. Yeah. 
And people were like, oh my God, can my you know wife or girlfriend or whatever come to one of your shooting events? And I was a bit like, oh, I've got shooting events. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and then I actually went to Western Australia for a month um, to see my sister in Perth. And I lay on a beach and I thought, actually, sod it. I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to start this events company. <laughs> and I did. Wow. Yeah. And that was uh, September 2011. And then it's been such a journey ever since. I've had, yeah, it has been really successful. It's taken me a long time to kind of, you know, appreciate that. But I kept burning out and I had no boundaries. I had no proper systems in place. I was experiencing this massive growth and I was just spending so much time just knackered on the sofa and just worn out and living on Red Bull and cereal bars. And and then, yeah, so I kept burning out and, um, and then my dad died, which I'll get on, obviously we'll we'll get into, won't we? But, um, Mm -hmm. I just thought when he died, what do I want out of life? And actually I want, I want to go down an entirely different route. So I've written a book, which, it's going to be called From Burnout to Balance, I think, which is it's going to be out next month and I'm cutting it really fine. Wow. The title. And I've, and I've just trained, I'm training as a coach as well. And I just, there's this real thing of like confidence and getting through self-doubt and just supporting women and just kind of like stepping into my best life. Like that's what I'm really trying to do. So it's a really exciting Step time. I love that. All this really incredible stuff that's just going on um, since my dad died. So my story is a little bit different, I think, in terms of my grief. But yeah, I can't wait to share all that with you. But yeah, so here I am. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Well, congratulations to you first off. Thanks. Sorry, it was a bit long-winded. <laughs> no, it's, I I love it because I. this is a total side note, um, but I love it when I hear women saying I'm successful or this thing that I'm doing is successful. Like, I love it so much. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and it's it yeah, feels so awesome. great to say it and to, and to know it as well. Amazing. I also think this is the perfect time to pivot into what, you know, obviously this is the Dead Parent Club podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is your what is your dead parent story? So mine, um, mine was my dad, Carl, who was just like everyone's dead parent um, he was the most incredible man ever he was he was really tall he was he was really handsome like all my friends moms fancied him at school <laughs> <laughs> and even when I was older like all my friends started like fancying him he was just like he's handsome <laughs> uh, <laughs> Delf. <laughs> and he was just he was about six foot five and he had like jet black hair and he just had the most kindest way about him. He made he was the kind of person that every he made everyone feel like a someone. And um he was hilariously funny and he worked really hard. He worked in like factories for most of his life and then he um he sold a house and then not for a lot of money, but then he bought some little cottages and started property developing, which was really fun. And he got to he yeah, he worked incredibly hard his whole life, because I'm one of four sisters. <laughs> Bless him. Totally outnumbered. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so he kind of got to like live his dream out a bit, really. And we moved to the countryside, and he had this beautiful little cottage, and and everything was just going really, really, really well for him. And like his girl, you know, his girls were doing really well. And then, um, yeah, then he got diagnosed. It was so he lasted five years from diagnosis. And, so 2012, he got diagnosed, and it was just like everyone. Oh yeah, he said with cancer, obviously. And like yeah. with most people, it just came out of nowhere and. We kind of thought it would be all right, to be honest. He was, he said, like, he wasn't very well and just felt a bit weird and he had bowel cancer. And um, and he was just a bit like, oh, well, I've got cancer, but, you know, it would be all right. And we didn't really think anything of it at the time. And we just thought, oh, yeah, you know, he's caught it really early. So, therefore, he'll probably be all right. And he had, um, he had an operation to remove some of the tumour from his bowel. 
which went really well. And like, that was that. And we were like, oh, all right, it's fine. We'll just get on with the rest of our lives. And um, and then he went for his, I can't remember if it was a three month or a six month checkup, or it might've been longer than that actually, but he went for a checkup and it spread into his like lymph nodes, I think it was. And then it, yeah, and then it just like, it just went for it and just totally spread. Within a couple of years, he was ravaged by it. It was, yeah, like quite a difficult strain that like chemo wouldn't touch. So he had like all the usual, um, you know, chemo, radiotherapy. Uh, yeah. And we, we tried him on everything in terms of treatment, in terms of like a vegan diet. We tried, tried him on like cannabis oil. We even tried him just on cannabis, which is hilarious. Oh my God. <laughs> That's the, okay, you're, you're the first person we've had on that has tried to that extreme. Most of the time it's like just eating healthy, exercising. We did everything. Like we were just, people would say, have you tried like pine cone kernels? No, pine kernels. Have you tried him eating, like having three pints of carrot juice a day and like all the fads, like cancer beating diets on Google? I'm pretty sure we tried every single one. And he was so good. Wow. He was so good about it. We were like, Dad, we've got you some like C B D oil off the internet. And, like, and he was just he was just like just taking everything you were giving him. Yeah, he was so good because he just knew like he meant the absolute world to us. And yeah. yeah, and he was that kind of guy, like he was just so selfless and just so caring and like he just wanted everyone to be not not wanted everyone to be happy. He was just a, a very kind man with a big heart, and he just yeah he knew exactly how much he meant to us because we meant that much back to him. So Aww. yeah, so we we were my sisters and I were all like we've always felt like really privileged to have him as our dad because we know that not everyone mm. has a good dad, and he he always kind of like nurtured us and um you know if a boy ever broke our heart he'd be like bloody hell you know he's lost or whatever and you know he's, he's, yeah he's like I don't know, my little bloody girl <laughs> like he was a little bit he used to say bloody quite a lot um <laughs> but yeah he was just this beautiful man and he was so willing to to just yeah do what he had to do for his girls and for his family and we started I moved I bought my first house to be closer than him to him because we moved away and so we'd go over to his house like every single day and we'd all just sit in bed with him like towards the end watching escape to the country and bringing him food and just like just having a laugh with him and he he really like laughed and made the best of it and he was never a victim my dad wasn't and and that's really taught me a lot in life I think like he never he never felt sorry for himself and and I just and I, I think it's totally fine to feel sorry for yourself because I do quite a lot but it's just something I really felt yeah really took from how he dealt with it because he just um he just got on with it and that was and that's just given me so much perspective and I've taken so much from him dying and him facing cancer you know like all these incredible lessons was he like was he really ill towards the end yeah it started he started really going downhill in I think it was December 2016 we got we went we all used to go to his consultant meetings with him would all pile into this little all, all four of you yeah, and mama <laughs> but the doctors were like right we need to get some more chairs in no it was hilarious and his consultant was so good he's like oh good to see you all again and we'd all be sat on the <laughs> so they gave him two years to live in um december 2016 and that was just like shattering and and it was from there, it went downhill, really. So he he went on chemo straight away and we carried on with like the vegan diet, which he wasn't very keen about and tried to get him off sugar as much as we can, like all the things. And then mm-hmm. he had a tumour that grew. One of his um, lungs was entirely blocked off by this tumour and he was coughing all the time and he kept getting chest infections. 
And then we took it, oh no, sorry, 2016, we took him to Germany for some virotherapy. So we did a, a we did a crowdfunding thing and um yeah, took him to this obscure clinic in Germany and paid thousands of pounds what? for him to have this treatment called rig beer, which to be honest, I don't know if you've heard of rig beer. It's a no. it's, it people have a lot of success with it, but with my dad it was just too late. So it's basically um they inject a virus into you. And this virus carries like, I don't know, I don't know, I'm not scientific at all, but carries some kind of cell, something which seeks out the cancer, embeds in the cancer and then basically blows the cell up. It's got R-I-G-B-I-R if anyone wants to Google it. So we, we anyway. Wow, I'm definitely going to yeah, Google it. We took him to Germany for that, to this like hilarious clinic. And we had like an amazing time and we were there for two weeks. And we had a bit of hope, hope around that and his cancer markers dropped and his cough got better. And then it was the 2016 you've only got two years to live how did you find out about this treatment was it literally because you and your sisters were just like googling stuff all the time and you just came across this one and were like right we need to go to Germany yeah definitely it was um we were just we were very public about his illness because I've got all these lovely members in my shooting club and we'd post all these updates on Facebook and people really got involved and really got behind us and shared the journey with us and people would just stuff but we'd just be on google like all the time and we'd like subscribe to like websites and like all sorts we don't we don't ever yeah. quit me and my sisters or my mum and dad like quitting's never an option so we just fight till the bitter end and that's what we did with them and he just fought with us it was amazing so this tumor in his airway stopped him from breathing and he, he was scared to death he, he'd never say it but we all knew it that of just stopping breathing one day so his consultant would occasionally take him into hospital every like six or eight weeks and laser off some of this tumor so some air could get into this lung because he just couldn't breathe. And wow. So we had he had that done a few times and it was great and he could breathe and have a little bit of like better quality of life until it grew back. But then in April 2017, when was it 2016? Anyway, um, they took him in for the operation as as usual. I went with him and then they accidentally nicked the tumour, the bit of tumour they shouldn't have lasered and he it started... The tumour started to bleed into his good lung. So they had to sedate him and um, to, to let this tumour clot. And we were in intensive care with him for two days. And he'd signed a DNR and he was like, don't you dare resuscitate me. Because he was, he was kind of ready to go, I think, by this point. He'd been through so much. Mm. And it was just, like, horrific. And I just can't ever remember, like, ever being so sad in my entire life. Of just seeing, like, my dad sedated on this trolley in intensive care, all these, like, lights and, you know, all the beeping and... He had these two rods down his throat, like a ventilator. Just seeing his chest like move up and down. I'm totally going to cry now. <laughs> I cry a lot. Um, yeah, and just like this mechanical breathing. And they were all just there like holding his hand. And he'd come around a bit. Because my dad was so big and strong. And apart from the cancer, he was like a big healthy man. So they'd given him all this like sedative. But he kept coming around from it. And obviously he had these two big like rods down his throat. And he just kept panicking and... And then they couldn't give him too much because they didn't want to kill him. But then they, yeah, it was just like horrendous. And then his pulse went down to 50, uh, 20 beats per minute. And you can just imagine, can't you, like the carnage of like all these alarms going off of all these monitors. And and he signed a DNR. I bet the, I bet the sound of that was just horrible. Yeah, it's still, in fact, our microwave, <laughs> this is really funny. Our microwave, when, when it stops, when it's like done its time, it will just keep beeping. And every now and then I just think of my dad's like chest going up and down and this like mechanical 
So yeah, this 20 beats per minute thing, like me and my mum and my sisters, you can just imagine, can't you? Like the the panic and the horror Mm -hmm. and we just thought, God, he's going to die like in a bloody, you know, in a hospital, you know, with these like rods down his throat. And, and then we just, it was just like a miracle. We were just like, this is it. We're all like, you know, bawling and like we're telling them we loved him. And, and then he just, and then he just went back to normal (laughs) and his pulse went back up and we were like, oh my God. But he was okay. And then that night they discharged him from intensive care, put him on a ward and then moved him to a local hospital. And um, yeah, he, after a couple of days, he, he got his strength back and he was okay. So he went home and, and when I say, okay, he still had this terrible cough and he couldn't really get anywhere. And he was, he, he was miserable, yeah. but you know, doing his best to paint on a brave face. Wow. Yeah. So it was hard. And every single day we were going over there and, and then in June, so I run this massive shooting event once a year called National Ladies Shooting Day, and it's massive, and it's the most stressful time of my life. I'm <laughs> just trying to get it all organised. And, mm-hmm. and it was about a week before that, um, my mum rang me, so I only live about half an hour away, and she's like, you've got to come. Your dad, I've never seen him like it. And I was like, oh, fuck. So I went over, and he's, like, hallucinating, and he's sweating, and he's in bed, and he's delirious, and... We rang 111, oh, nine, yeah, no, 111, and we were like, I need an ambulance. Like, you know, I need someone to come out straight away. But my parents live in the middle of nowhere. They live in this little tiny village that's like half an hour from like anywhere. Yeah, probably like 40 minutes from the nearest like, ambulance station. And it was just like, just panic. And we we're like, he's going to die like here now. It's like horrendous. And um, he didn't. <laughs> we had all these miracles, honestly. It was just a. Cancer is such a roller coaster, isn't it? Well, any kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> so um, it was like horrendous, and the sweat was pouring out of him, and he, he was trying to say stuff, and we couldn't hear him, and he was coughing, and he couldn't breathe. And, and then an ambulance finally came, and he just like picked himself up a bit, and he was having a conversation with them. And they, oh my and goodness! And then they took him into hospital, and um, it turned out he had sepsis. And again, like he just he just plummeted again, and we just thought he was going to die, and that was it. And they they were giving him all these like amazing um, like antibiotics. They said they called the antibiotic antibiotics domestos because they said that it was just so strong. Oh my god, that's not what you want to hear. <laughs> I know it's hilarious. So he's in this like end of life unit, which was amazing. This room with this little rose garden, and there's a sofa bed, and. And he was in the hospital for about wow. six days and he just lay in his pants because all this sweat, like he just sweated and sweated and sweated. And then a couple of days later, he was fine again. Oh my goodness. I bet your emotions must have just been like out of control. Like, it makes me feel stressed just thinking about it now. <laughs> and, you know, I had this really stressful event coming up and I was like, oh my God, you know, my dad could die. Like it was two days to go. And I was like, if he dies, I just don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm trying to get my business sorted so that if I did need to totally step away from it then I could and if he did die obviously I was not going to I wasn't going to go to the event anyway but it turned out that I did Mm -hmm. and actually we really made the most of the time in hospital and and when he was awake and he was talking we'd like video him like talking about like the old days and like funny stuff he'd done and we even though it was like the 
great yeah. idea the videoing in the hospital yeah and we just had we always just really took like our family all really just take the piss out of each other and there's always banter and we'll always look for the good the um the hospital said that he wasn't going out, getting out of there alive he just said you know prepare yourself he's not going to get through the sepsis <laughs> he did wow <laughs> how was he doing this we all need his no, and he, well, I really genuinely feel like he was a superhero like honestly he was just so determined and headstrong and like his just outlook on life it was just amazing really and I I feel so privileged that I've had him as my dad and I know I, I say it a lot but just because of his like strength and like determination and you know he wasn't ready to go on either of those situations and there were a few more times when we when he should have died but he just kept going and then he'd get up and you know a couple of days later he'd be drinking tea having a couple of biscuits and we'd all be laughing together and you know, he'd be out in his garden or in his man shed, and he was just incredible, so strong and resilient. And then in August 2017, he'd been a bit weird for a couple of days. So, yeah, August he was he like he kept being sick, which was like really distressing for him, and he kept having headaches and getting funny smells, like smelling like burnt toast and stuff. So his district nurse, who was amazing. Um, sent him for a brain scan and it turned out he had a four inch tumor in his cerebellum I think it was which is the base of your spine and where, where your spine meets your brain Wow! I know and we we're just like oh and I think we all realized that because he always bounced back we always just expected him to bounce back even though he was kind of fading away and so my sister Rosie, my younger sister and I, we were on holiday at the time. My mum was like, just go away, you know, just go and have a bit of fun, you two. So we'd, we we undenied about whether we'd go home. And we just thought, actually, you know, bugger it. We're going to have an amazing holiday. Dad wouldn't want us to be sad. We'll FaceTime them every day and then went home. And by this time, um, they put him on steroids to just slow the growth of the tumour. And I don't know if you know anyone that's been on yeah. steroids. Like, it was just horrific for him. It was just like... First of all, his face swelled up and he just, he hated that. And he was just like really tired and he was like hallucinating. And he, you know, he just, he, he, he was really confused and he, he couldn't stand up properly. And, you know, his mobility had gone right down. I think it's like his body had like turned to jelly a little bit. So the, the yeah. were keeping the tumour in check, but they were kind of like just messing up the rest of him. Yeah, that's one thing that I definitely hadn't thought about when, um, when my dad was um, in his kind of like last weeks or whatever, like the drugs that oh. they give them, it just, it completely, like you say, it just has all these side effects that you don't even think about and it completely just changes oh, that person. 100%. Totally. So he, he'd been just getting worse and worse and worse and we, we all knew the end was coming and we were all, all starting to prepare ourselves. And I'm so grateful to this day that we had those amazing five years with him because I know that some people's parents just drop dead and they don't get the closure and nothing was left yeah. unsaid with my dad. And and I know he was so proud of us all and he got to see us all, apart from one sister, get married and, you know, know that we were okay. And I think that's such an honour because some people, you know, they, yeah. you know, maybe they've had an argument with their mum or dad and then, you know, they've been hit by a bus and they just, there's all this like unresolved stuff they've got. So I don't really have any of that and I'm, I'm really aware and really grateful of that. Was he... Was he in the hospital at this point, sorry, or at the house? Sorry, yeah, he was at home. He died at home, which is what he wanted. He was coherent, actually, and we were like, oh, hi, Dad, yeah, how's it going? And, like, whatever, and sat you know, sat on the bed and a cup of tea and biscuits and stuff, as usual. 
And then he yeah. just started like just going more and more downhill. And the district nurse came and we all agreed that it was time for him to go on syringe drivers because um, he, he wanted to go on syringe. Like he wanted, when he died, like he, he just planned everything. He was amazing. He just wanted, he said, when the time comes, just put me on these syringe drivers and he, you know, would go to sleep and it would just all be really peaceful because he suffered so much. Like he really, really did. Mm-hmm. So the district nurse came and like we all just kind of, you know, sat there on, on the bed and we were playing like all his favourite songs on YouTube and it was just never ending cups of tea. <laughs> it's hilarious. All we do, I mean, it's just drink tea. <laughs> and, you know, we'd all take it in turns to like, hold his hand and and it was just kind of like, beautiful in like a really fucked up kind of way <laughs> like there was so mm-hmm. much there was so much love in that room my parents live in like a tiny it's like an arms house it's like it's really old like 1600s cottage it's tiny and this tiny bedroom and there were like me and my three sisters my mum my 89 year old grandma and then his sister and then his brother and his wife and there was about 10 of us in this tiny room just all just sat there chatting and my dad's like in bed just dying and we're all like you know making the best of it and we're all talking Mm -hmm. about the good times and occasionally one of us would just fall to absolute pieces and go outside and like you just you just can't like you just can't really believe it can you like when they're dying it was just no it's it's a very surreal experience like I felt like I was (laughs) in a film (laughs) Like, yeah it's, and I, I think that's how my grief is as well it's like one minute you think like yeah dad's dying he can't go on anymore he's like fought and fought and fought look at the state of him he can never come back from this yeah that's fine you know we knew he was dying and then the next minute you're like oh my god my dad's dying I can't live without my dad I need my yes yeah so it's just like yeah Definitely. it's like waves and that's how that's how my grief has been I think we <laughs> this is hilarious it's a total side note but those three days that my dad was like actively dying for until he died, we drank. We had we had we got through a catering sized box of Yorkshire tea. Me <laughs> and my family. <laughs> That's amazing. I was <laughs> waiting for that. I was wondering. I wonder how. I was like, just, how, how much tea? They it was got literally. Through. I'm not even exaggerating. It was a 480 bag box of Yorkshire tea. That is uh, hilarious. No, and then, um, oh yeah, so about six o'clock. So he died. He died on Monday. So this must have been Sunday by now. And about six o'clock at night, um, we had this district nurse who was amazing, and she was just there all day. So she'd gone, and then she kept coming back and like refilling the syringe drivers because he was totally under by now, and we knew he wasn't coming back. And he he started. To, he had that death rattle, the secretions. You know when they just really want them to clear mm-hmm. their throat, and it, that was trauma, you know. Yeah, that's the that was one of like the scariest things. He came he came around from like all this like morphine and like whatever they were giving him to hold him under. It was like he because he was so big and strong, he like fought through it and he was trying to say something and his voice it was so bizarre. So we had like all this layer of like I suppose it's phlegm, isn't it? And just like snot and like whatever it is, really thick yeah. rattle. And you could hear this like tiny voice like underneath that, and it's like the most bizarre thing. And he was trying to say something, and his eyes were open. There was this like panic and like this mania in his eyes. And he tried to get out of bed, and oh, it was the most distressing. No. So everyone's like, no, 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 stay down, like, stay down. Just, it, yeah, it was just horrendous, and we. It was just me, my mum, and sisters at this point. And oh yeah, no, my brother-in-law was there actually. I think my husband might have been. But he was, because he was so big, it was like, 
and he like he just had this like strength to him and we were just like it was just sheer panic we were just on our own we didn't know what to do you know we needed to give him more drugs but we couldn't and it turned out we think he needed a wee <laughs> because we like like he'd never had like a catheter we well, must have done like when he was in hospital but like he'd like you know he wasn't to the point of like wearing nappies or anything like that and you know apart from the cancer he was mm-hmm. so strong and it was just like like fucking horrendous sorry if anyone by the swearing but the magnitude of- no honestly <laughs> we swear so much on this so I swear to your heart's content <laughs> um, just him trying to get out of bed and like we're like just die dad just go just let go you know just stop it and we couldn't get hold of the district nurse so we rang like this emergency number and they're like oh sorry we're doing the changeover at the moment we can't get to you for another four hours what the hell are we meant to do what if my dad gets out of bed and falls over or like what if he you know gets up we can't stop him and he falls down the stairs like he's drugged up the eyeballs mm-hmm. and then all the time there's this horrible like <sighs> kind of like sorry that was really attractive but this, <laughs> this horrible like that death rattle and and me and my mum yeah. and sisters, like the panic and just how we felt. And and it's like, who the hell do you ring? You can't ring an ambulance because I can't take him to hospital because he wanted to die at home in his bed and they would have just taken him to hospital and he would have died on a trolley. When the district nurse couldn't come yeah. out, the emergency doctor, like, because it was, it was, it was a Sunday night. Yeah, no, it was Monday by now. But it was this funny time at night and it was just horrendous. And so I remember like ringing um, Macmillan nurses just in floods of tears, just like I was just desperate. It, it was just full on desperation. And that was just the absolute worst ever point of my life. And I thought, God, it can't get any worse than this, surely. And thank God it didn't. But yeah. Oh my gosh. I think, I feel like we had a very, we had a very similar situation with my dad because he was, I feel like he was similar to your dad in that, like, because he was so strong and the nurses, you know, they don't kind of expect, they kind of expect, like, they don't expect these people to be able to, like, physically hold themselves up anymore um, or to be even to be able to move themselves. So I, we had a very similar situation where we were all like, no, Ben, stay, stay in the bed, Ben. ben. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? And, you kind of, and towards the end, yeah. were you kind of willing them to die and then just, like, let go or stuff? Oh, this is one thing that I honestly, when I speak to people that haven't been through this and I say it, they're like, wow, that's horrendous. But honestly, by the end, we were like, we were doing all those things, you know, like you read in the newspaper, like they played a certain song and, and they went and, oh, we said, you can go now. And he went, so we were all there. My mum was one side. I was the other. My sisters are in there. And we're all like, right, come on, dad. Dad, you can go. It's fine. It's it, honestly like just go, and we were like, "What right? What songs can we play?" Like trying to Hurry trying on. to get him to just like, right, come on, put us yeah, out of well, this misery. We did exactly the same thing, and he loved that Terry Jack season in the Sun song. And oh, since he's died, I've listened to it about a million times on YouTube. But we were playing oh. that on the iPad, and because we just didn't want him to suffer anymore. Like he'd had so much suffering, and it, we, we we kept him going for so yeah. long. We we're like, "Come on, Dad, don't give up!" and he just gave and gave and gave and fought and fought and fought and he just had nothing left to give and we were like do you know what you like he's done everything he needs to do we're all happy well not happy but like we're all like well-rounded you know happy you know in our lives apart from him girls and we're all doing well got good jobs etc so he'd done everything he'd set out to do so we were like just die dad please just die and you know 
Yeah, and I'm sure people listening to this who haven't got lost a parent yet are probably thinking like, oh my God, you heartless bitch, Victoria, how could you work? I wanted to suffer end to end because of, you know, how desperate it was and it was just desperate. So that, so that night, eventually we had this really irritating, but lovely, well, no, she wasn't lovely. She was really irritating. This district nurse that came along and she almost disregarded <laughs> my dad and she just talked about herself the whole time. <laughs> Me and my mum and sisters were like, how the fucking hell is this woman? Like, oh, you know he's dying here and like you're just talking about what your son's had for his tea and I know now that it was her just trying to you know keep us calm and like you know distract us a little bit but we didn't want that we just wanted her to help him and just like Mm -hmm. keep him under there's a local hospice to where they live called St Richard's Hospice in Worcester in, in the Midlands and they had this like night carer lady it was a free service they offered and they sent this woman round who was just amazing so it's basically so my mum could get some sleep so it was about 11 o'clock. She came, we'd met her, had a chat, decided that we could trust her with our dad. <laughs> and then we went home to get some sleep. And then literally, so it's about 11 o'clock, got into bed and then my landline rang. And um, my mum said that half an hour after we'd got, no, not even half an hour, like some a short time after we'd gone, the, um, the carer came down and said, you better come up quick, his breathing's changed. And if people haven't lost a parent yet or anyone, you'll know when someone is about to die their breathing changes and um, I think they call it chain stokes breathing or something it's like bizarre breathing anyway um, and then my mum yeah. just lay with them and just cuddled him and she just said he took his last breath in our arms and she just cuddled him till he went cold and um and that was that and she just said I think she slept with him for like the rest of the night and and then it's late oh god sorry <laughs> I think just hearing the words that your mum cuddled your dad till he went cold he's like the most distressing thing in the world and um this lovely lady this nighttime carer lady stayed with my mum till like six in the morning and and then we all went over again and he was just lying there in his bed he kind of um one eye was a bit open which was a bit, <laughs> a bit awkward he always had this like lovely smile and he just lay there and just like, because we'd spent so much time in that bedroom for the past three days. Well, for the past, like, you know, years. It was just like, we just sat there and in one way we were kind of relieved that he was gone because it was just an end and he wasn't suffering. And, you know, we could we could start to, yeah. you know, just grieve, I guess. And then his mum came around, Grandma Phyllis, bless her. And, um, and then my auntie and my uncle and some cousins came and we all just sat on his bed drinking tea again. <laughs> <laughs> someone do a tea run quick I know god they say where there's tea there's hope don't they and um, the undertaker couldn't come until three o'clock so we all just sat there and we chatted to him still and and it was just kind of yeah just weirdly beautiful in this really fucked up way again it was like he was at home it was a beautiful day oh yeah the day before as well because they live in the countryside the, the view out of their bedroom windows is like beautiful field and like woods and trees and stuff and I saw a, oh, wow. I saw a deer in their garden and I've never ever seen a deer in that part of the country where they live and my sister saw a, a butterfly and yeah so we kind of like knew he was going to die it was like this weird sign did you realize at the time that they were because I I'm not sure if I'd ever, if I ever realised at the time, like when things were happening, that it was a sign. But then you like, you look back and you're like, oh, like duh. <laughs> yeah. 
just yeah this little it was a munchak a little deer just stood in the garden like looking up I was like oh my god yeah at the time I was like oh look there's a deer but now I'm just like fucking hell that's so that's definitely a sign <laughs> and to see a butterfly in October as well so um so the undertaker came and um it was actually hilarious so my dad had planned his own funeral he had one of his funeral plans and we knew exactly what he wanted and the most handsome undertaker you've ever seen came. Oh, hello. <laughs> he's like this Irish guy and this amazing Irish accent and these like bright blue eyes and jet black hair. And he was like, Oh my me god. And my sisters were all like, Oh hello. <laughs> and husbands were like, All right, you girls. And we were just like, Thanks, Dad. Thanks so much for finding us the most handsome, lovely Irish undertaker. It was just hilarious. it was like a <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> And uh, we could just all imagine him saying, like, oh, yeah, I thought you'd like that. <laughs> that is amazing. Um, oh. So, yeah, so obviously the Undertaker came and they took him away. And we all actually, like, all the family had come by then. And then as they took his body out, which took some doing because he was so big and their stairway was really tight. There's like, you have to go around a corner and it took them a while and a few bangs, I think. But as they brought his body out and put it into this van thing, we were, like, clapping and singing, like, for he's a jolly good fellow. <laughs> Oh. it just seemed right and it was all just like done properly it's like he wanted to die at home in bed surrounded by you know the people that loved him most and I think in terms of like a death apart from like the desperation with the you know him coming around and that district nurse woman that wasn't very nice it was like you couldn't ask for a better death like people die in trolleys on their in hospital corridors on their own don't they and yeah it's like a, it's like a dream death yeah yeah that's <laughs> as much as you can have a dream death <laughs> Yeah. So uh you know, went to see him at the chapel of rest and we planned his funeral and his funeral was just incredible. So where they lived, so they lived in this arms house at this like country estate and there's this little tiny church attached to this stately home where they live. And we had all the pews facing inwards. So his coffin was in the middle of this little church and we're all facing his coffin. Um and it was really like informal and the vicar, the local vicar was just absolutely hilarious and he was a bit sweary and really funny and he loved my dad, my dad loved him and he did such a great service and we all took it in turns of standing up with that you know at the head of his coffin and just recounting like all the really funny times and we're all just like laughing and crying and my four four of my cousins and was it four of my cousins yeah a couple of my cousins and like the husbands like Paul Baird and like carried his coffin and it was just bizarre like me and my mum and sisters just helped we're all like linked arms walking behind the coffin and then we turned around and there was just like 30 odd like family members and we, there was just this massive sense of pride and it was so wow, yeah. we're like we were so proud of him we were so proud to have like had him in our family and we were just so proud how like dignified and funny and caring and like all these things and and we were just so proud that we were going to give him the best possible send-off. And it was amazing. As much as Barry and your dad can be, like, we did a bloody good job. Yeah. And then we, uh, my dad obviously liked cake and biscuits. So his funeral, we had the, we had the wake. We did, like, a great British bake-off wake. <laughs> no way. So we did it at this local uh, venue. And we decked it out like a village fete with, like, bunting. Oh, you must think my family's really strict. We just walked. No, this is this is phenomenal. <laughs> the more funerals I hear about, the more I'm like, this is amazing. Like there are there there seems to be all these rules and like funeral like etiquette and stuff you should do. And it's like, do you know what? We had a party. We celebrated his life totally. He didn't want any black. He was just like, I want you to cry, you know, cry a little bit, but I don't want you to like mope around after me. You've got to live your life. And 
so we we got all this champagne everyone bought a cake and it was it was like a village fete and we had like a slideshow going of him and like all these pictures and frames and we all just got really pissed <laughs> and then went yeah went home and had fish and chips <laughs> and then um I don't know I know I knew from that point when he was I was just sat next to his lifeless body the day after he died that my life would never be the same again and it's so weird that now I've just it's like I've cut away what doesn't matter to me it's like I just I thought you know I'm not going to let my dad die in vain and you know I'm not going to just obviously I did fall apart and obviously I still haven't I don't think you'll ever get over losing a parent so you know I sometimes I cry a lot sometimes I don't cry for like weeks on end but but I just thought I'm just going to take the good from it and just kind of use it as like rocket fuel I guess to like lead, lead a life that that he'd want me to live but actually that I could live instead of like you know I just stopped like giving a shit about what people think I stopped you know pandering to people I stopped saying yes to people that I didn't want to say yes to and and then I just thought like what really really matters to me in life you know I'm so lucky in that I've got all my limbs I'm like disease free I'm you know I've got my eyesight I've got my senses and you know I've got an amazing family and it's like why am I fucking about so much with my life and why am I you know why am I working so much and so I started, this is a bit I didn't tell you actually, I've started doing a gratitude journal like a year or two before he died. So I, oh, we'd love a bit, we'd love a bit of journaling and a bit of writing. All over it. Preach. Yeah. So, so that's how I got through the first couple of days after like losing him and burying him. I was just journaling and I just kept reaffirming like how lucky I was to have such a great dad and how I, you know, he wants me to be happy. He doesn't want me to, you know, shrink away and just into like a pit of despair for like however long he wants me up and out then like just being this like you know this amazing little girl that he raised like yeah how did you how did you know like so soon after how did you know that that is what you needed to do because it it probably took me a good two years before I was like right you need to start practicing gratitude I would not have known in the depths of you know straight after losing my dad to go and do that yeah, I know what you mean. I think because I'd been doing it for like a year or two anyway, it was a big part of my life and my, my mindset and my perspective perspective my perspective started to shift anyway. So I yeah. was like, you know, in the hospital and like intensive care, I, I was like actively looking for the good instead of not. So I felt like I'd been on this journey and everything was leading me up to my dad dying. So, you know, this woman came into my life, Pip, who who actually died of cancer as well uh, last year, that helped me with my emails. And like, I got into this like mindset stuff and, you know, people would step in and help me with my event, my shooting events. And it, looking back, it was like just this path unfolding of, of like clearing the decks to get me to this point of losing my dad. And, and now it's just like, just yeah just totally changed my life and and in a, in a again in a really fucked up kind of way I'm I'm not grateful he's died at all but I'm grateful that that I've been through all this because now I feel you know if you lose your bloody dad it's like you, you can do anything if you can get through that I think yeah you're like you, it always gives you um like a almost like a reference point to put everything back into perspective mm. and it's like because I I remember literally saying to people I don't know. This was before we knew my dad was terminal. I would say, and I physically don't know if I could live without my dad. Yeah. I was like, I cannot live without my dad. And then when you realise that you can, you're like, wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, the time, yeah, I honestly just could not see life past losing my dad. I knew he was going to die. I was really realistic about it. But I just thought, how the fucking hell, like, what? I can't live without him. He's everything to me. I speak to him on the phone every day. I see him every day. You know, his, like, praise means so much to me. And every time there's something about my car or something breaks, I ring him and I rely on him. And Gosh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that's been that's been like the worst thing for me. I'm like, I haven't I haven't got a handyman to help <laughs> <laughs> me with my like adult stuff now. Hell, yeah. He just had like dads just have like infinite wisdom about things, don't they? That we just don't know about. Like, yeah, I really noticed that when he'd gone, and I was like, oh damn, my car's making a funny noise. I'd, like, oh, I bring my dad. Oh, I can't. Exactly, like cars, boilers, DIY, <laughs> yeah, all that. Anything in the garden. Yeah, so I suppose, yeah, I've just been on this journey and I, yeah, I just felt like it was all just meant to be and it all happened how it was meant to and, and this valuable perspective. And yeah, I'm, and I don't really feel like he's left me. That's, I don't know if you feel like that, but I, yeah, I, like I quite often feel like I can see something out the corner of my eye. It's not necessarily him, but it just makes me feel like he's close to me and, because I'm quite spiritual and like you know I definitely believe in like spirit and you know things like that yeah I just feel I just still feel his love and and that just makes me feel really strong even though I'm just really yeah. fine, but. I know yeah I know exactly what you mean like I know if Kat was here she'd be saying because she she often feels like her mom is still with her yeah I just often don't even I'm, I'm it's not that I forget that he's dead because I know that he's not alive anymore but I kind of still think that he's alive. Yeah, totally. Even though I know he's not. I literally can't explain it. I know what you mean, totally. Yeah, I feel like I still tell him stuff as well. And I've got this table in my lounge. I'll put I'll put a picture on my Instagram or something. But it's like this little, oh, little yeah. half-moon table. And I've got all these um, pictures of him in frames, like him on my wedding day and like him at my engagement party. And then I've got some fairy lights and I light a candle for him every day. And um, oh, yeah, and I light his candle in the morning. I'm like, oh, morning, Dad. I'm like, I'm going to have a great day today. And I kind of like tell him stuff and I'm like, I tell him about like how I've been getting on like writing my book and I'm like oh I've written about this this and this about you in it and you know or like uh you know fallen out with you know well I've not fallen out with anyone but you know I'll like tell him about things that are on my mind and I, f- I find just like talking it out loud to his photo just really helps me. Now I was going to ask about writing about him in the book have you found that like therapeutic? Massively yeah it was amazing because I feel like you can just write from your heart and um I feel like I'm a bit more eloquent when I write as opposed to when I speak and yeah and just the whole thing of like putting pen to paper and just talking about it like it just helps so much like it really does did you have like with it apart from your sisters and things or I suppose they might have been the people like the people that you spoke to at the time kind of like in those first months after he died like did you have a great support network within your family and your friends yeah I'm really lucky in that I've I've got a massive support network actually because of my shooting club so I've got all these really close friends and like members and people that came along for the journey and and then obviously I'm really close to my sisters and like my best friend and like family members and stuff so yeah and we like everyone loved my dad I've never in my life met anyone that didn't like him and um, yeah and so everyone wanted to talk talk about him and and I think that's the thing with grief isn't it you just want to keep it's like you want to keep them alive by keep talking about them and yeah and um 
Yeah, so it, it was amazing. And I'm so, like, again, I'm so bloody lucky to have all that and to have all those people that like shared their experience. And they're like, look, you know, my husband died or my child or my parent or whatever died. And you think like, shit, actually, you know, you look at their Facebook or their Instagram and actually, you know, they're having a great time on holiday or they've got a new job and they're thriving. And because I felt like I couldn't see past him dying. And I just thought, you know, a part of me would die. It would all just go to shit and just sat at home, you know, eating ice cream out of the tub of my pyjamas. <laughs> But, yeah, but, I did do that for a while. But I, I really drew on inspiration of people that had reached out to me and said they'd lost someone. But actually, you know, a couple of years down the line, it does get easier, and and it does get easier. And but I really feel like I've I've turned my grief on its head, and like I'm using it for good. And mm-hmm. yeah, I've just let go. Of, you just let go of a lot of stuff that I just didn't want to do, or. And I've just stopped being so bothered about things. Like if someone said something to me that would, I don't know, just like get used to like get my back up a bit. I just think, do I like, that's just someone projecting onto me. And actually my happiness and, you know, keeping my mood high is more important to me than being right or, you know, really caring what other people think or. Yeah. So it's taught me so much about myself. Grief has. And I, yeah, I, I feel kind of privileged in a weird way. You do. You always feel like, well, thank you, like thankful that you've. I think it. I think it's because it's the knowledge that. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. That the worst thing that you thought could ever happen has happened and you are still like fine like, like obviously not no one ever is a hundred percent like themselves or whatever um and you never like we say like you never get over it but yeah. you can actually still live a normal life and I think that's such a good point you made around like looking up to other people that had been through it I think there's such a huge thing in like grief role models like Absolutely. just even just like everyday people that when because me and Kat were both like at university at the time and we'd all of a sudden found out about because you also you never you don't know about all these people before your parent no, dies I feel like you're the only one don't you that you know you can't yeah. that other people can know what you're going through but you, but you do exactly and it's like as soon as they as soon as they die all these people reach out and you're like oh but you're fine now yeah you know like but you're how are you how are you walking every day how are you going to the shops and living in life that's it yeah it's like I feel like yeah my grief it's like my life is my legacy to my dad I think that's how I deal with it and I don't know you know that won't be the right way for everyone but but I just want to keep I made my dad so proud and I'm so lucky that I did 
because you know I started this business and he'd always had like his factory jobs and you know worked these like horrific jobs and hours for low pay and he really like admired my spirit and the fact that I'd go out there and you know make shit happen and it's like my life now in a kind of weird kind of way part of it is like I'm still striving to make him proud so I'm still pushing myself every day to live this amazing life and I think step into the potential that you know when you're a baby and your parents the kind of like hopes and aspirations and what they want for you it's like I want to I want all that that he wanted for me does that make sense yeah yeah I know you mean I it it definitely like it definitely makes you think more I don't know why you almost want to make them more proud when they're not here than when they were I think it's because you can almost explain yourself to them when they're still here whereas I'm like well, I literally have no excuse now. So. Yeah, that's it. But there've just been, yeah, so many lessons and just things that I've realised and you know insights and you know. What was the what was the most kind of helpful thing that someone said to you after the fact or did for you that you thought, yeah, that's really helpful. Or did you not? That's have such that? a good question. Um, I can't really think of anything to be honest but my journaling and just um, writing like 10 things a day that I was grateful for about him that helped me come to terms with it because um, the focus was on instead of loss it was like I kept the focus on love and how grateful I was to have had such a great dad and you know as opposed to oh I love that that the focus on love yeah because you know some people's dads are just bastards you know they're really like absolutely you know what for whatever reason some 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 dads and moms just aren't very nice and you know I know I know this this lady and her mom is has always been very controlling and manipulative and she'll just never make her mom happy and her mom's like 86 and she's still got this control over her and I just think like you know and you know obviously I don't know her story so I don't know why she's like that but but you just think people have got all these issues with their parents and and I'm just so grateful that I didn't have that. And I had, you know, I feel like the price I paid for having such a short, a great dad was having him for just a shorter time than, than most other people. Because he was 61 when he died. Yeah. Equally, you know, some my friend's dad died when he, he was 40 something. So I feel like, yeah. I'm, and actually, this is, this is really bad as well. So he died 30th of October. I went to America in um, the January with a friend on a work trip went to Vegas and I just thought I needed to get away get over it go to LA as well and just live my best life and you know just get 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 away from like the winter and death and grief and you know just have a bit of sunshine yeah had a really good couple of weeks only had like a couple of like major panic crying sessions which I thought was really good (laughs) (laughs) and no really embarrassing ones in front of you know like important people at this industry event I went to although I wouldn't have cared because you know grief is love isn't it I think oh I love that yeah so I got home I think it was about six o'clock in the morning my uncle rang to say that my grandma had been taken to hospital and she was dying she had lung cancer so it was like oh god like how much can life throw at you and um they were going to put her on syringe drivers but then again she just came back and she was laughing and joking and eating like jelly and ice cream on the ward like after a couple of days what is in your family's DNA need to extract that shit and get it sold that's it knock us down we'll get back up just keep getting back up so my grandma was in a hospital that was probably about 50 miles from where I lived so I just launched my new membership in February 2018 
And um, it was, again, a really busy time. I was trying to make sense of my grief with my dad, but keep this focus on love and, you know, get his gravestone sorted and just, you know, keep talking about my dad. And it took my grandma, bless her, two months to die. And, like, all these, like, hospital trips every day, which obviously, you know, I'm not complaining about. I'm just saying it was, like, it was tiring being in the car for, like, a couple of hours a day. And and mm-hmm. just being at hospital was the one is exhausting. And you never drink enough and you just eat the crap food at the vending machines. And... Oh, yeah, I ate so much shit. <laughs> <laughs> so she, they eventually put her into a care home and then she she died. And that was tragic. In fact, we scattered her ashes on Mother's Day, which was beautiful. We got covered in ash, which was just hilarious. <laughs> the most hilarious, funny woman ever. So we thought that was quite apt that she died on April Fool's Day. That's... I mean, I want to say that's amazing. No, it, 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 <laughs> we were grateful. We thought of all the days. Yeah, dying April Fourth Day. So that was like lovely. And then my friend Pip, that kind of kind of saved my business really when my dad was in intensive care, and it, along with a few other women as well, that kind of like kept it all going. So she had cancer, and that spread, and she started going downhill, and she died the day before my dad's birthday uh, in two thousand and eighteen. So so that was like Pip just did so much for me, and. Oh, you know that was tragic and she's got a daughter and a grandson and a son and a granddaughter and a family and and it just yeah. wakes it all back up and you just think like you know this poor family and you just want to help them and you can't and it's like they're on this journey on their own now and they've got to find their new normal and it just kind of just keeps bringing it back up and and then um in two in September so Pip died August dad died the October before grand in April in August my birthday is the 29th of August and my husband and I saved up and we went to Barbados and we were like we're gonna have this amazing holiday it'll be awesome and we've been trying for a baby for about a year yeah and I had like this implant removed from my in fact it's longer than that because my dad was alive and I had it removed and then finally got pregnant in Barbados which was like amazing and we were like really chuffed and you know it was all brilliant and then the day the royal baby was announced I had a fucking miscarriage (laughs) and it's just like I can't anything else world anything else and yeah and we've we've been trying ever since we haven't had any luck yet but I'm sure we will soon Uh, but and how did you come back from that at the time because I can just imagine that must have been kind of just all consuming like the way that you felt yeah how how did you I mean it's it's a big question right but yeah (laughs) what were the steps you took to get yourself back from that it was um it was this kind of duty to my dad to live my best life and I swear to god it's just journaling every day I have like this morning routine which I set my intentions I list 10 things I'm grateful for I'll set some like, affirmations and I'll just journal through my thoughts and I just thought and I and I reframe a lot of stuff as well and you know Pip was just an angel that came into my life when she need, when I really really needed her and she was just amazing and you know, it was like it was her time to go, so I, you know, I, I couldn't feel bad about that. And she was really sick, and she was in this hospice for a while. And my grandma, she was like eighty six, and she was old, and she couldn't get out of bed. And it was like, it was the best thing. And the miscarriage, it was like, there was something really tragic about like feeling your body change and then just like wither back to what it was before. That was difficult, but but I just thought, well, actually, at least you know, it, it is really sad. And I, you know, if I'd have gone full term, then um I probably I'd be like nine months pregnant now mm-hmm. but but I thought well actually we've been trying for like a year or whatever and it just shows that my body works and it you know I can get pregnant so even though it's taken us a bit longer but 
But everything I believe has just been down to like my mindset and my outlook. And I could have fallen apart and I could have, you know, just been a victim and stuff, which would have been fine. But I just, yeah, it's really important to me that, you know, while I'm healthy, while I'm well, while, you know, I just think that anything can happen tomorrow. We just can't plan or predict anything. And, you know, I could get hit by a bus or I could get a life changing diagnosis. So like I'm here to just make the fucking most of every day because it could all change tomorrow and I don't want to have any regrets. And I think that's what's really carried me through. It's like just keeping this really firm perspective of how lucky I am, you know, what I can take, what I can learn from situations and just keeping my mindset like really like focused and forward and positive. And it's changed my life. It totally has. And I'm, I, and now I am grateful for everything that's happened. You know, I'll, obviously I'd turn back the clock if I could. And, you know, I'd do anything to have my dad or, you know, Pip or my grandma back and to be a mum but it just is what it is and I'm grateful for this woman that I've become as a result of it if that makes sense I am so in awe of that perspective that you have thank you like it's it's amazing and I actually feel so inspired I'm like I want to go home and I want to start journaling (laughs) and I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do that (laughs) oh yeah and I just think like we've just got we've got one life and it's so easy to get bogged down with what people are doing on Instagram someone said something bad about you or you know you're stuck in a shit job or your boyfriend's a bit of an asshole or whatever it is it's like we've got to change it we've got to change what we don't like and we've got to live our best lives because we could get run over tomorrow (laughs) or you know something could fall out of the sky and like kill us or whatever and that's not exactly and that's not me being paranoid of dying because when I die I know I get to see my dad again but it's like I just feel like we're here for a reason and we're yeah we're just lucky that we we have options and that we're not you know lying in an end of life unit or like a palliative care bed or whatever just taking our last breaths it's like we are fucking here we've got to make the most of it that's that's my outlook that is phenomenal (laughs) and I know that not everyone will be like me and 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 it's fine that people aren't like me and we all have our own different ways of dealing with grief. But yeah, I really believe that had my dad not died, then I would probably be on my way to living like a mediocre life. And he didn't work as hard as he worked for me to be mediocre. And that's like fucking massive to me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's me. I, I really love that. Um, do you have any like kind of parting advice so because I was going to ask how it's changed your the way you go about life but you've answered that and it's honestly amazing like I I and and I appreciate what you say when you said um not everyone's going to be like me yeah so like the I love what you said when you said not not everyone's going to be like me and that's fine and that's definitely something that I am like accepting now that like look Sam the way that you feel and deal with your grief is not the way that everyone else does like I always knew there was no rule book but you can't help but think like why 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 don't you feel the way that I do look I feel happy and blah blah why don't you and it's like yeah you have to accept that everyone goes through and goes through like different stages as well yeah totally I feel like it's grief is such a personal thing. And because, you know, my granddad died five years ago, but he was like 93 and that was sad for a couple of weeks. But, you know, again, we knew he was going to die. So I hadn't really experienced massive grief. But I think it, I think a lot of it is to do with 
like how a person died you know if that if there's any notice or not I think that I, I don't know because we had all this, this yeah. runway and we knew who was going to die but I think what you've if you've got anything unresolved with that person as well I think that must play on your mind so say for instance yeah we always have like we always have discussions around like kind of the pros and cons mm-hmm. of like when you lose a parent because yeah and again you know I don't know what that feels like so I was so lucky with my dad and he was proud and I you know didn't have anything left unsaid so I think that's a factor um and I think it's you've just got to take all the time that you need you've got to cry as much as you possibly can because I think you know crying is love and 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 I don't think you'll ever cry it all out and I think just be prepared for it to like sideline you at times like I'll just be driving along and, you know, I'll see something or something will just set me off and I'll just be like, oh, my God, Dad, like, <laughs> how, how are you yeah. here? Or, you know, there'll be times where you just feel like you need them and you're like, I just fucking need you, like, now. And they're not coming. And mm-hmm. and I think you've just got to, you've just got to be, you've just got to roll with the punches. You've just got to honour how you feel. You've got to, you've got to have a good support network around you. And you've got to have people to talk to. Otherwise, I just think grief will just, it just manifests in a bad way. And, you know, that's where it's, it makes it harder for you, you to move forward with your life if you don't have an avenue to kind of talk and stuff, which is why it's so important about what you do. And um, Oh, yeah. What else? Yeah, and I think you've just got to take from it what you can. Like, I'm so lucky with my perspective. And if you can't see if you can't see that or you can't see any perspective or any good that that's come from losing a parent, then I suppose I just urge you to just look a little bit deeper. And I, I just journal it out totally. I just try and make sense of, you know, there's got to be one good thing that's come from losing a parent. You know, I've had loads and loads of, you know, I've changed my life and my business. I've written this book and I've done all, you know, all these amazing things and keep going on holiday more than I used to. <laughs> but I just got treat yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, definitely treat yourself, and yeah, just try and find one little kind of glimmer of hope or one little spark of something that you can nurture and build on. And just I, yeah, I find just keep telling myself like every day how lucky I am, how grateful I am, and and just really believe that. And yeah, just cry when you need to, lean on other people, you know, keep listening to your podcast, and and just looking for that like, inspiration and. Yeah, just talk to people because people want to help. That's the thing. And you just never know who you're helping by telling your story, I don't think. I I definitely agree and appreciate that last sentiment as well. Like before we started this podcast, we were kind of like we it was almost selfish because we were like, well, we want to talk about our parents um, and we want to, you know, hear from other people that have as well. And just the amount of people that I mean, you probably had this on on Instagram and stuff. Like the amount of people that are just looking for ways to reach out. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it's it's just amazing, and I love I love giving like having this platform that people can come and just speak about their parents. Yeah, it's amazing. It's what you've done. It's just amazing, and I'm not just saying like so on your podcast. Like, I, yeah, <laughs> we've paid her to say this. <laughs> but I found your podcast and I was just like oh my god these girls and I just felt like even though I didn't know who you were or anything I just thought you're my people and I just thought yes Yes. get it because you just think that people don't get you and it's like Uh and people worry sometimes you know people that are grieving other people might think oh you know she might cry or I don't know how to deal with her or like oh 
you know, I don't want to. Yeah, that's that's, the, that's like one of the big things, right? They're like, oh, well, I didn't want to, I didn't want to ask because I didn't want to upset no, you. It's like, fucking hell, you. I know he's dead. It's not like I've forgotten. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, oh, wait, you just reminded me that my dad died. Yeah, that's it. And actually, I I love it when people hear me out and let me talk about him. And I'm sure you feel the same as well. And you know, yeah. I think if anyone listening hasn't lost someone, you know, they just happen to be listening. Then if you know someone that has lost a parent or anyone else, ask them about them. You know, it's the biggest mm-hmm. gift you can give them. I think just because it helps keep their memory alive and to remember the good. And that's what it's all about for me: remembering the good. Drop the mic. <laughs> yes, mic drop. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> yeah always remember the good because i think that's, that is. that's what will get you through the dark times and even when you can't think of any good at all just keep on digging because you will find someone you look and just be open for, open to it i really love, i feel so inspired oh thanks i'm chuffed <laughs> i am so i'm literally honestly I'm, as, soon, as soon as i get home i am gonna be like writing down all my goals, my intentions, everything. And if you don't do it for your dad, because all dads want their little girls, want their little girls and their little boys to just be happy and lead these amazing lives and be be successful and to do whatever they want to do. And yeah, use it as motivation. Yeah, I think just um, look after yourself, keep the memories going, do whatever you need to do. And just just go out there and just fucking live your best life. And just things that don't matter, just get rid of them, cut them away. If you are really unhappy in your job or relationship or whatever, and you can't change it immediately, just take little steps every single day to just make you feel better or change your focus. Or yeah, just you are. We are so lucky in that you know we're still alive. We haven't got a disease. Most of us, you know, our arms and legs work and, you know, like all the things that I've talked about, like we've got to make the most of that yeah. because it, it, you know, we're going to die. So you might as well just get on with it. Stop caring about what other people think. <laughs> like just do it. Preach sister. <laughs> sorry. Oh no, no, don't, don't not be sorry. That's phenomenal. Oh, Oh, well, thank you so much. You're so welcome. It's been honestly, it's been great to talk about my Carl, Carl Heinz Lax. Yeah. Oh, what a great day he was. Thank you so much for listening to this week's DPC podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have, and have found some comfort in the stories that you've heard today. If you've resonated with anything we've said, have any questions, or want to get involved, please do contact us. We are on Instagram. It's at DPC Podcast. You can email us on dpcpodcast at hotmail.com or we have a contact form on our website www.dpcpodcast.co.uk We have a whole bunch of resources over on our website. More information about dealing with grief, losing a parent and professionals to contact if you should need it. Because as Kat so eloquently said in our first podcast, we're not providing healthcare, we're just chatting shit. (laughs) If you think this podcast could help someone, then we would love for you to share it. We upload new podcasts every week, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. Loads of love from Sam and Kat. See See you next Tuesday. Tuesday. Nailed it. Nailed it. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 